And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad you tuned into the show today. We appreciate it. Hope you can make it a habit every Sunday morning to tune into the show at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. And we're going to give you some call-in information in just a moment since this is a live live call-in show. You can reach us here, and we'll be glad to take your calls, your comments, your questions, whatever is on your mind about anything spiritual. You don't have to be a Christian or a Bible believer to call the show. We'd be glad to have you call if you're not, and we're not going to try to embarrass you or put you on the spot or anything like that. We'll have a good discussion. Maybe you've got a a question. Maybe you've got a criticism. You've got something that you think we need to hear. And that's what this show's about. And uh, that's one of the one of, one of the purposes of the show, anyway, is to have a discussion about these things. So we promise we'll have a good discussion, and we'll give you the last word when you do call in so you can feel free to uh, to do that and it's not about baiting someone or uh, arguing you know uh, i don't want to get too far afield here but um not never mind let's don't even go there right now we'll come back to that let me give you the calling information Uh, you can reach us here at the show 772-340-1590 that's the number for WPSL's regular call in line, 772-340-1590. We also have a text number. Now, Gary Jones, my usual partner, is on his way but not here quite yet, so I'm not going to give you his cell number. But my text number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. I'm Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher. I'm one of the elders here in the church, and so... You may feel free to contact me at that number anytime you'd like to, by text or by calling. That's fine, 772-260-6120. I'm one of these people, and a lot of my friends don't understand this, but I have to answer every phone call because I get phone calls as a minister and as an elder that I don't always recognize the number, doesn't always come through. People change their number, and so I answer every phone call, and if it's a spam call or something like that, well, then we deal with that when it happens. But otherwise, um, I'll, if I don't answer, leave me a message, I'll get right back to you. But anyway, 772-260-6120. If you don't hear back from me, call again because I'm not intentionally ignoring you. I just missed it or something. All right. The other the other way to get a hold of the show besides calling live right now, uh, 340-1590, or texting me is to email the show. And that email address is simple, justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. So we go through this every time. And and there's other ways to listen to the show. You're listening right now. You may be listening on AM Radio Live. That's great. We appreciate that very much. But there are other people that are listening on the the web through the Internet. You can can listen live on WPSL.com. Go to the Listen Live button, click the little, air, the little forward arrow to start uh, start it, and you will be connected live to the show during the time the show is on live at WPSL.com, Listen Live. You can also find the show on TuneIn Radio, the TuneIn Radio app on your phone or computer, and any Alexa or Google Chrome devices. You can also find, us, find it by searching for WPSL 1590 
and you'll be able to hook right into the radio station listen live so you can tell your friends about that anywhere they are in the world they can also contact us by calling in or by emailing or texting anytime during that during the show and after the show so in any way those are some of the ways you get a hold of us we also have a website uh which is wearejustchristians.com that's the church's website but there's also a radio page link there and you can leave us a message. You can listen to these radio shows going back probably 10 years of archives of this radio show and of sermons that I preached on all different kinds of subjects. Just search in there for whatever subject you want to find out about demons or angels or whatever it may be. Uh, the last, second coming, all those titles and stuff are in that in that database there on the website at wearejustchristians.com. You get a full length treatment of many of those subjects where you can look up the scriptures and then um, leave a comment or get a hold of us about those kind of things. So that's some of the ways you get to reach the show. This show is about being just a Christian here in the 21st century like they were in the first century. I think that's an idea that is very valuable. It's one that I think is timely. It's one the Bible teaches that that this gospel that was, as Paul said in, in Jude, once revealed to the saints, one time only, it says it was revealed to the saints at the first century, we are bound to recreate that church here in the in the 21st century without alteration. So we don't try to update, you know, the teachings of the church. The Catholic Church is going through a whole process now. You know, that unchangeable eternal church, the Catholic Church, that which they, that's what how they describe themselves. They've been going through a process now under the new pope of trying to update their teachings here in the 21st century on women being priests and deacons and homosexual marriage and whether uh you know oh I, I there's a whole list of these things i don't want to get into all that right now but the doctrines of the church of the new testament ch- church don't change because of centuries passing now the application of those principles within a culture might change like subjection and headship how that might look but the principle doesn't change just because time passes what would have to happen for it to change is Christ would have to give some kind of a new revelation from heaven, which he is not going to do because he spoke through his apostles and prophets, and they wrote it down in the scriptures for us to read. So that's why that unchanging document, the New Testament, is so important because it lends stability and so forth. And from what we can understand, he said that it, in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, that it makes the man of God complete or thoroughly furnished to every good work. So we have today, through the New Testament, the things we need to be servants of God in the fullest sense of the word, without having to make up new doctrines and try to conjure up some new revelation so we can find out what to do. That often, well, maybe most often, puts us as Christians who are Bible believers, puts us out of step with the common culture. It puts us at odds because human culture is always changing in some way to adapt to the preferences of the people that are living in it. And yet, you know, of course, it keeps going around in circles, but it's constantly changing. Um, the illustration I would use for this from the scripture that most readily comes to my mind is in the book of Revelation. You see this picture a couple of places in the book of the sea, uh, and it speaks about the sea there. And, and when you look at the the symbolism is how it's used in many places in that book. The sea is uh, 
human society, human culture, and it's constantly changing. And I know from being out in the ocean many, many, many times in my life that you can be the exact same coordinates on your GPS or Loran going back a ways, and it looks completely different. And in a matter of minutes, it can all change. And that's the way human culture is. It just changes because humans are always seeking to please themselves and find some new way to avoid responsibilities or bring themselves pleasure. And so there's always this constant change, always searching. Everybody's looking for answers, as the saying goes, you see. And so you end up um, with the sea. But the Bible pictures the throne of God is surrounded by a crystal sea, meaning it's so calm there and unchanging that the sea is flat and undisturbed. And he offers us that, some of that here on earth in the teachings of the scripture through the church of something that doesn't change because of the culture. But as I said, that often puts us at odds with the common people around us, with what's going on in society, as we see more and more in my lifetime uh, happening, and it's accelerating as we go along. Now, we've got a call about it. I want to come back to that idea. So are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. I didn't mean to break your uh, your oh, No, thought. that's... I was wondering that's... about uh, Hades, when you hear that term Hades, uh, the derivation of that, and uh, you hear the name John Baptiste a lot down here in Florida, and I just wondered if there's any chance they were referring to the island of Haiti, meaning hell. You know, I know that the word Hades is uh-huh. hell, uh, but I, I would just uh, very quickly, uh, if you could handle that one, I'd l- like to listen off El Mike, if that's okay. That's fine, Jerry. I appreciate you calling very much. Well, I'll say up right up front that I don't think the word Hades in the Bible, Ades in Greek, has anything that's directly connected by the name derivation to Haiti as a place. Um, I, you know, you, Jean Baptiste is a common name uh, in Haiti, and even among Haitians that I know here, we have many going to the church here who are from Haiti. It just means John the Baptist, uh, Jean Baptiste, and sometimes it's a hyphenated last name. We and we would call it in, in English. Other times it's two names, and, and um, there's a time I'm not sure it's current at the moment, but. When pretty much every young man in Haiti was known by Jean or John, and every young woman, uh, had, she was called Marie, and maybe it's particularly true when they came to the United States, but now that may be changing. So Mary and John are the two names very common in Haiti and so forth, but I don't think there's any connection, although, you know, when you read some of the stories, and I've never been to Haiti, but when you read some of the stories about the conditions in Haiti at the present time, they are very disturbing. And I'm, I feel so bad for the people that live there. And I feel really bad for the people that I know from the Island of Haiti who go to this church and other ways I meet them because uh, such kind, generally kind, sweet and honorable people have been their, their homes, homeland and their relatives are, living in fear and squalor, and there's no good reason for it. But anyway, uh, we can go, I'm not going to go into all that. But this word Hades in the New Testament is an interesting word, and I think it's um, it's been the source of much confusion over the years because of a poor, what I would say is poor translations. 
uh, especially in the King James. And I like the King James, but I think they have really confused things in our time because of the translation of the word Hades as the word hell. When Hades is um, not what we commonly think of in in Bible understanding as hell, it's a different word and a different concept. The word for hell is Gehenna, and even Tartarus is another word. But the word Hades, Ades in uh, in Greek, it means just unseen. I, I think the the main part of the word is from the word video or to see. And the ah in front of it, or ha in front of it, means not. And so it's a word that means unseen or not seen. And it is, it, it is generally, it means in general, a, the place of the departed dead. Those who have died, who are, in, who are unseen, they, they go to an unseen world that we can't comprehend from the earth or from our position in this material world. They now are in unseen now, it's also the name of the Greek god, Pluto, Hades and Pluto. He's the god of the lower regions. And you have all these other uh, other names for it. Orcus is another name that sometimes is used for hell. So we have in, in Tolkien's writings, the orcs coming up out of the earth. You know, they're, they're, they're really he's deriving that name from Orcus or Hades and so forth. And it means the grave. It means death. It means the grave. And so you have then in the Bible um, several usages of this word that, for example, in Matthew 11, Capernaum, who are exalted to the heavens in their own in their own minds, were brought down to to Hades. They're going to be destroyed. And Peter is told in Matthew 16:18 that you are Peter, and upon this rock of his Christ himself, me, I'll build my church. You're the little stone, Petros. I'm the big stone, I'm Petra, and I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I think what Christ means there is death is not going to stop it. You're going to put, first of all, they were going to put Christ to death, and that wouldn't prevent the church from being established, and then they're going to try to kill all the Christians, and that can't stop the church because there's going to be a resurrection in this final day that Satan cannot stop. And so that's what Christ means that Hades or the gates of hell in the King James Version cannot stand against the church. It's this realm of the dead is not going to be able to prevent me from establishing my church, my people, and so forth. And then you have um, this quotation in Acts chapter 2. I'm just going through some of the references, Jerry, for the word Hades. As it's used, it doesn't mean hell as in the final place of the dead of eternal or of the unrighteous, I should say, of eternal punishment. It means the intermediate state between earth and the final place of the dead. So there's a there's a teaching. I think it's true that the dead, when they die, good and bad, go to a, a, a place that's according to. Jesus in Luke 16 is divided into two compartments, as it were, separated by a great gulf. One is paradise, where Jesus went when he died. His soul went to Hades, the realm of the dead, just like every other dead person. But he said, I'm going to meet this thief. He told the one thief today, you'll be with me where? 
in paradise. He was in Hades, the scriptures say, but he also was in paradise. On the other side of this great gulf in Hades, it says that the rich man lifted up his eyes after he died in torment. So the other side of this place of Hades, there's two sides of it now, of one is paradise, one is torment. Now, after the resurrection day, Jesus says he's going to bring with him all the dead. They're all going to hear his voice, be raised from the graves, and he's going to bring the souls of the righteous with him when he comes back to the earth. And they're going to be resurrected from this place, those in paradise, those who are in torment are going to be judged and cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, according to the book of Revelation. I'm giving you the flyover version, as they call it, of these things. We can talk more deeply about it. Gary Jones has now joined us, so he might want to say something about this. But the Bible says, for example, in Acts 2, quoting the Psalms, that even about Jesus, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He's speaking of the fact that God prophesied that the Holy One, that is the Messiah, would die and not but his soul would not be left in Hades or his body to decay like all the rest of the bodies decay. So human beings have two pieces that have to be that that death are separated. The basic meaning of the word death is separation. And so at death, the body and the soul or spirit, I should say, are separated from each other. The body goes into the grave to await the resurrection. The, The spirit goes into Hades either to paradise or torment, depending on the life of the person that they've lived, whether in Christ and righteous or not. So that's divi- they're divided. And so it says about Jesus that you're not going to let your Holy One stay his, in Hades, his spirit, nor is his body going to stay in the grave. He won't let him see corruption. So Christ was going to go to both the grave and to Hades, into the tomb and to Hades, but he wasn't going to stay there. Now, in the king, here's the here's where the problem has arisen in the in Christianity in understanding this. If you're reading an older version like the King James and some of the and the Catholic translations and stuff based on the King James, you are going to see the word hell there, so the word Hades, and yet it's a separate Greek word for the word hell that should be put there. And so it says, "Oh, Christ went to hell." And we take that to mean he went to the place, you know, where Satan lives and is in control of it. And he's went to the fire and brimstone. And that's not the accurate understanding of what it means. I think in, in, the old, 80s, the yeah, in the Old Testament, it's called Sheol, isn't it? In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the very exact uh, idea is Sheol. And so it says there, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, if you read yeah. the Old Testament text. It's yeah, the same thing as Hades in the Greek. As and the, the definition that's given in Strong's is that's just the world of the dead. Right, the realm of the unseen, the realm of the dead. But yet, in the King James, it takes the word Sheol and the word Hades and puts the word hell there. It it creates a lot of confusion. I'm not sure why it was done. I haven't read the historical accounts of this. But almost any more modern translation, even beginning back in the early 20th century, will put the word Hades there. Now, Hades is a transliteration of a Greek word. It isn't a translation. It's a transliteration of Ades, or it'll put Sheol, which is a transliteration of a Hebrew word. But those are, that's the reason they do it, because it, uh, it, it's creating unnecessary misunderstanding, you see. One of, one of the passages in the Old Testament I think you might reference for that Acts chapter that Peter is talking about is Psalm 49.15. Yes. 
And it says, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave in the New King James. Right. Well, and this is where uh, Peter Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2 in a couple of places and quotes this psalm that Christ would not be left there. So in other words, that, that's the, as I said, the flyover version of this, Jerry, of uh, you might not have heard this, Gary, since you're getting in from the car, but Jerry asked about this word Hades, what it meant, whether it was connected to the word Haiti, since Haiti is in such bad condition, and um, the name Jean-Baptiste, which is just John the Baptist brought yeah. over into English um, and so forth. So in any event, I don't connect it up with Haiti, but I do think it's a, a great, greatly misunderstood word. So now this brings up a big, bigger Theological issue about which there is some disagreement in, quote unquote, Christian teaching or circles and commentators and different denominations. Um, I'm going to tell you that my understanding of this is absolutely correct and uncontrovertible, of course. But I want to let you know that, that there that there are and many. But I think many people have a great misunderstanding. They think that when a person dies. And you'll hear established preachers who should know better. They think that when a person dies, they go straight to heaven or straight to hell. And yet the Bible says there's a coming judgment day. Now, we are going to be judged. We are judged as we live. So when we die, like the rich man and the Lazarus in Luke 16, which the Bible never calls a parable, tells the story of this man named Lazarus and a rich man. They did. They died, and their bodies were put in the tomb in the ground. But their spirits found themselves in Hades, or the realm of the dead, one side of the gulf or the other. Hades can be either pleasant or very unpleasant. Yes, beginning if you're in paradise, where Christ was, where Abraham is, uh, or whether you're on the other side in torment. And here's the picture. And then you're brought forth from there at the second coming. You're going to be brought forth from the realm of Hades to a final judgment. Now, the the understanding we should have about this is uh, somewhat like our court system, is that a person is put on trial, that's living their life, and when they die, they are sentenced. It says very clearly. Clearly, it is appointed to man once to die, Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed to man once to die, and then comes the judgment. So we use this word judgment, Gary, to mean deciding, guilty or innocent. Well, that's not how the Bible's using this word most of the time. Yes, most people don't. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. And that's not people, how it's being used. We, we really need to understand that you're deciding where you're going to go every day that you live and right. everything and that you do. He says it's in Galatians 6, other places, that your life decides where you're going to be. Uh, and, and Jesus then, so you're going to go to a place... Right, let's say, let's say you go in our court system and you're you're put on trial and you're found guilty. Well, if you're found innocent, essentially they let you go back home and you live in paradise, right? But if you're found guilty, they don't pronounce sentence unless you're in some watching some ridiculous old west movie where they take you right out to the tree and hang you, which wasn't really done very often even in the United States. But in any event, you're you're taken back to jail, which you're found guilty. You go right back into the prison, into the unpleasant place, and you await for a certain period of time, however long it may be, until they finally have a sentencing hearing. 
And then this judge, you come before a judge again, and the judge says, well, because you've been found guilty, here's your punishment. And he gives you the punishment, and they take you away and throw you not in county jail, but in state prison or federal prison for whatever length the term it is. So in this analogy, which I think is a correct analogy, your life determines your guilt or innocence. The word of God, what in that the verse that Gary reads every week, the word of God will yes. determine whether you're guilty or innocent, right? You'll be judged by that word, the word of God, which has already been spoken by Christ. It's not separate from Christ. It's what he gave will judge you. Now, the picture of this in the New Testament is then at the end of time, all these spirits are brought out of Hades, good or bad, and brought before the throne and sentence is passed upon them. Not judgment, sentence is passed upon them. And the judge says, because you did this or you didn't do this, you're going to be cast into the lake that burns with fire, cast into the outer darkness. Different pictures are used of this. And so there's a sentencing. So the end of time, the judgment at the last day, the great judgment, the judgment day is a day of where God passes final sentence and the eternal punishment begins or the eternal reward begins uh, of being set free. So that's more of the picture. Hades is this holding cell, as it were, awaiting the resurrection. The reason that I don't believe that we go straight to heaven or straight to hell right now is because of the fact that the resurrection has not occurred yet. And so the bodies are still in the ground, have not been raised. The humans in Hades are not complete it's only their spirits. That's why they need comforting, because they're not complete. They're separated from their bodies. Humans were never meant to be separated from their bodies, but they are at death. That's the punishment of it. One day they'll be reunited with their bodies, and the believers will receive a new body, a new new kind of body. It's the same body, but now it's a new kind of body that's been changed, and their spirit will be reunited with it, and they'll go into everlasting joy. So that's what happens when they're found at the, the final day of adjudication, innocent. Sentence is passed. Now, that'd be my general understanding of this. And you can find these references in Luke 16 and in Matthew 24 and 25. And there's many other references. Uh, and I gave you some Acts 2 and some other references to this word Hades, which you can look up. But the word hell is a different word in the in the Greek, and uh, although it may be the same word in English, the word hell is, um, well, it's used in the Old Testament too, but um, it's, um, hang on, let me see if I can get this word here. I can't remember it off the top of my head. There's two or three. Well, it can be Sheol. That's one word word it can be. But when you go look at, let's look particularly in the Greek, which is what the New Testament, of course, is written in. You see this word, um, you see this word hell is the word for, for Gehenna, Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna is a valley of Hinnom or Hinnom. It's a valley in Jerusalem used figuratively as a name for the place for the state of everlasting punishment. And it was the place where in Old Testament times, like in the it's dumb. It, well, first it was the place where they offered up child sacrifices. Okay, the Jews offered up these child sacrifices. Hence, when, once the Jews were carried into captivity, that place where that happened and the altars there became a place of condemnation, and such scorn was held for it that they turned it into, a, like every says, a garbage dump. And so, by the time of Christ, when the word Gehenna was being used to mean hell. 
it was a place where, like the, like the uh, garbage dumps along our turnpike, you see the everlasting fires burning. They, we got them vented to nice little stack vents with fire coming out of them. But in the old days, they just burned where all the methane gas produced by rotting garbage and corpses and animals was thrown. All dead animals and things were thrown there. Sometimes they threw the dead bodies of these criminals there. And and all that, it was full of maggots where the worm dies not, Jesus says. Implacable thirst and hunger and pain would be there, a place of burning. Sulfuric or poisonous gases would be about. This was the garbage dump. And it came to be the figure then of hell. And Jesus uses this very language uh, in his description of the everlasting place of punishment where the worm dies not and so forth and fire is not quenched. That's why he uses that language because it is descriptive of this place that the Jews called Gehenna. And that's the word that comes to us most accurately in English as hell, the final judgment of God that awaits those who are unrighteous. So, Gary, you know, that that brings up another Christian doctrine. (laughs) So I take, oh, start back here. I take the position from what I'm reading here and so do many others that that we don't go straight to heaven or hell right now. We go to this waiting place divided into two places. Your fate is sealed. And the Bible is very clear about this in Luke 16. Because Lazarus could not go from one side of this paradise to the other other side to dip his finger in water and cool the tongue of the rich man. Abraham says, nope, the gulf is fixed between us. He can't go. He can't go back, and he can't go back to the living world. He can't go back and tell the rich man's brothers. So he's locked in this place. It's a place of him, for him, of being fine because he's protected and he's comforted. Uh, The rich man was locked in there, but he didn't want to be there, so it's a place of torment. But they can't, the spirits of the dead can't come back and haunt us and give us messages and all that stuff and watch us play football in high school and college. You know, they, they don't do that, okay? They don't, they don't come to your graduation ceremony and get out of this place called paradise. And I know they don't get out of Gehenna, I mean of torment, to come back right. and watch you play high school football. <clears throat> that might, if I was playing, it would be torture for them to watch it anyway. But in, in any event uh, – well, it also, it also, Mike, and I'm, I may be changing the subject on it, and we, we might not ought to go there today, but also it, it influences the way we use the word judge or judgment and the way God uses it, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, I see him saying he judges nations and he will judge them or really sentence them through punishment by other nations, but he also says he will judge the nations and in the context where he's sending his son with the word. So he uses his word to judge nations. In other words, in some ways, much like John twelve forty eight, where Jesus says, my words will judge him in the last day. So it, it, it also kind of influences how we use the word judge too. Right. Right. Well, it does. And, and that's the, um, I've just had this document right here in front of me and within the last week um, about the Catholic. Well, let me go back to what you're saying. I'll keep looking this up. Okay. Well, one of those passages, I think is in Joel 3, says, let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations at that point. And the context of that is he's the Messiah is coming, basically. 
Uh, the context of that is he's sending the Messiah to bring words that these nations must live by that will judge them and determine where they go. And that's one of the ways I'm talking about using nations, uh, using judge. Now that ballot, well, yeah, the word judge means uh, um, it it means separate. Okay, really. yes, it means to separate. It says for there I will sit to separate all the surrounding nations. And in, in if I were to substitute the words in there, yes, and and so the word of God create, and that's what judgment is. It's a separation of the right of the. Uh, uh, of the wicked and the righteous. And, and he uses a phrase right in context with that in Joel 3. He says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day, a, for the day of the Lord is in the valley of decision. This is a picture of different events in the Old Testament. And it's ha they happened in the valley of Jezreel or valley of Jehoshaphat. They had to make a decision. And, they're, they're, and, the, and the word of God, they, they had to make a choice. Were they going to follow idols or follow God? And so forth. So... I don't know. I just can't find this article. I sure wish I could. Uh, hang on. I'll find it here in a second. Uh, that, I, that also deals with something uh, different about this. I don't. Maybe I didn't save it. I thought I did. I really thought I did. I just, I just you know, advise our readers, read Joel 3 and read it with the idea that this is symbolism and it's pointed to the coming of the Messiah in which he's going to bring a word for them that Jesus says in John 12, 48, that word that he brings and speaks will judge them in the last day. Right. That's that's the point. All of this, that multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, what he's basically pointing out is when he comes and delivers the word, you're going to have to make a decision about obeying it. You're going to have to make a decision whether you'll live by it. Well, when the yeah. word comes to you, yeah, you when, yes. So you're making that decision all along. Uh, this article, and I, I must not have saved it. I'm just puzzled why it's not. I didn't merely, of course, I didn't have this prepared before with the show because uh, the question just came on on as we were on the air. But I read an article about in the Catholic Church, Catholic teachings written by a bishop. There's the church is divided into three parts, as it were with relation to what we're talking about. There's the church that's militant. That's the church of living Christians fighting against the world. And then there's the church in purgatory, uh, um, where the church, they're, they're, the church is having to undergo a purging of their sins. They, they can't go straight to heaven, you see. Uh, the... Uh, I've never found that purgatory. Idea well, it's, it's all, they they would use it. It's in the it's in the book of Maccabees. It is where they would okay. uh, they would get a reference from the book of Maccabees um, to, to uh, talk about this. Something that we would not consider part of the no, canon. It's, it's not part of the gospel of scriptures at all. And I, I I must not have saved it. I thought I did. I'll I'll try to get back in with that. But they would they say that the Catholic Church teaches that. You're saved by doing the works that you do, uh, and that includes penance and confession, other good works. And then uh, you, you, the only way that you can uh, be saved is to uh, – you can go straight to heaven when you die, but you have to have received a plenary indulgence. A plenary means uh, – 
plenary indulgence means uh, uh, full indulgence, plenty of indulgences. And you get that by having masses say it, said in your name, which, of course, involved a cost to pay to the Catholic Church, other people praying for you. Now then, there's a few people that die with plenary indulgence or, or their life has been so exemplary, these are called saints, that they go straight to heaven. There's others that have to wait to go to heaven because their life is filled with different kinds of temporal sins. Now, they don't have... Uh, these are called venial sins that they don't have. Uh, what's the other kind of sin that's can't that it's hard to be forgiven. But anyway, you can you, you go there to this place of waiting. And so if you love your relatives, you'll go and pay to have masses said on their behalf so they can get an indulgence and get out of this purgatory faster and go straight to heaven. Then after they get out of purgatory. And uh, then there's this. uh Nothing about that in Scripture. Nothing about that in Scripture, but that's what that's a big part of the Catholic teaching. And I must not have saved this teaching because this article, because it's not from I thought I did. I have to look it up. I but always it, thought that was part of what precipitated Martin it, it Luther. Very much what precipitated, and that's the reason I saved. I thought I saved the article because um, what what it's teaching is, and and the very words that are being used in this case. Maybe I've got to hear these other or something. Uh, one of the words that's used here, one of the statements that's made uh, in the Catholic teaching is that you have to earn this change. This You have to basically, I should say, earn this going straight to heaven, get out of purgatory by doing these indulgences and these works. And Martin Luther said that's salvation by works. That's why it's ludicrous to say that he would teach that being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is a work because that's not what Martin Luther believed. He believed that these kind of works that you would do to pay a priest for and all that, that's a work that you do or saying so many Hail Marys or Our Fathers, that's a work that you are lighting so many candles, that's a work that you do that gets you into heaven. He says that's not how you're saved, you're saved by grace and he's right about that in that sense. Now then there's this church that's already saved. There's three parts to the church according to the Catholic Church. Um, and purgatory is in the middle of this. Now, so I'm not saying, I brought this up just to tell you, I don't believe that this saying that when you die, you go to Hades is saying the same thing as purgatory, because purgatory, you're there and you still have a chance to go to heaven or go to hell. If you don't make it out of purgatory in the final judgment day, you go to hell. If you make it out, you go to heaven. There's no changing your fate once you die. This is this is a terrible, both a comfort and a problem for Christians, because we believe from the scriptures that once a person dies, their eternal fate has already been decided according to the scriptures. They're either lost or they're saved by what they've done on the earth. Each man shall be judged according to his works, Jesus says, whether they be righteous or not. And so you're 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 left with this. Now that also means though that once someone dies, you know, and they're righteous, they they can't be they can't be lost either, see. So there's a plus and a minus to this teaching uh, of um that once you die, you know, your your fate is sealed. And uh, let me see if I can find the verse that I'm talking about here off the top of my head. 
but it's a that's that's the that's a separating difference between Catholicism and generally what you would call uh, Protestantism because you don't have this you don't have this uh, where you can be lost or saved after you die and you go to heaven and go to hell and all this kind of thing. Now, let me see if I can find this here. I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says here, um, for 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, or verse 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim. And we got a phone call. We're going to go with that in just a second. So, But let me read this verse. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Now, listen to this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, he goes on to talk from that. So this says here very clearly that you are going to be judged before the judgment seat of Christ, not by whether you say the sinner's prayer, but by what the things that you have done in the body. Now, now one of the things you can do in the body is to repent and be baptized for the mission of your sins. And then you have to continue to live a life of service and obedience to Christ because those are things done in the body. So here's the picture, not a purgatory or an intermediate state where you can you're where whether you where you can change your fate once you die, but what what you do when you're alive determines where you are in eternity. And so you got that. All right, I guess we need to go to on to the phone. Uh are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. What's up? I wanted to bring uh something up I brought up a a little bit earlier, I think, <clears throat> but I wanted to add a little bit to it. Okay. All right. So uh, first, uh, we're going to read John ten thirty, where Jesus says, "I and my Father are one." So in the New Testament. Jesus claimed that God was his father. Okay, so let's go to Genesis 22, verses 6 through 8. Uh, Genesis 22. Genesis 22, 68? No, no, verses 5 through 8. Oh, okay, because I didn't think Genesis 22... Had 68 verses, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go over there uh, and, and get that verse. Yeah, this business of um, God being one and and so forth. I want to uh, hang on. I can't get this work right, Ken. Uh, apparently, I need a finger transplanted today. Uh, make it work but and abraham said this to the young men man stay here with the donkey the lad and i will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you so abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together but isaac spoke to abraham 
his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Okay, now read verse 14. Okay. Of Genesis. Yeah, Genesis 22, 14. That was Genesis 22, 5 through 8. Okay, so hang on. It's just not wanting to scroll right here. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, which is Jehovah Jireh, I think. And as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Okay. What translation are you reading? I'm reading the New King James. What what you what translation do you want me to read? Let me read it in the in, in King James. Okay, sure. I it, think it is a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, right? As it is seen, said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Seen? Now, a lot of people think Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide, but it means he will see the need and provide. Okay, all right. Yes, it, it is the okay. primitive root that means to see or yeah. to perceive. Okay, so if you go back into the verse, the previous verses, who sees the need? Now, that's the name of God. Jehovah Jireh is one of the names of God. Right, right. So, go back in verse, uh, let's see, uh, yeah, verse 7. Who sees the need? The, the son sees the need, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Isaac said, where's the, where's the sacrifice? Yeah. So most people look at this scripture and they, they, they think Abraham is a type of the father and, and Isaac is a type of the son. And that's probably correct, I think, yes. Yeah, sure. But here, it's equating Isaac as God. Because he said the Lord will see oh, the need and provide. He saw the need. Okay, all right. I see what you mean. Well, the other way that they, the other thing that's interesting about this, Ken, is uh, uh, maybe it's just as well to translate verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, meaning he will provide himself for this offering. Yeah. Which the Lord did, God did provide himself as the offering. And then you're saying that it means that God saw the need in his son. Uh, that the son saw the need, and the son, in this case, is Isaac. And, and so Jehovah's Jireh means the Lord will see the need yeah. and that provides. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting that they translate it provide in the New King James. And I knew it was different than the King James when I read it. Right. Let me give you another example of it in Isaiah 9. Chapter uh, verses six through seven, I think. Which 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 verses? You're you're breaking up again. Which verses? Isaiah uh, nine. What? Uh, uh, six and seven. Six and seven. Six and seven. Christmas usually associated with Christmas because of the birth of Christ. 
Yeah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So here's the child, the son, who is called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, right? And right. he will sit on his okay. On his, now in David in Hebrew, Jews are allowed to call. Children with L ending in their name, like Daniel L, Ezekiel, right? Those are, that's permitted. But you are not supposed to put L before the name because that's reserved for only God. Okay. So and that's why you. God is El Gabor. What, what word you broke up? What word is El Gabor? Mighty God. Mighty God. Yes. Uh huh. Gabor. So that's equating that 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 child with God. Okay. Well, also exactly. everlasting Father. This word Father is Ab. We would get Abba or Abi in, in this. Yes. So. And the Prince of Peace. Yeah, there there are so many people make the statement, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, but he does it in a hundred ways, just like this throughout Old and New Testament. And and it's subtle enough that people just uh, blow right over it. They don't take the time. It's like they say, well, how, how can he be the Messiah? He comes from Nazareth. He can't be the Messiah. Well, they don't take the time to find out he wasn't from Nazareth. He was raised there, but he was from Bethlehem and born in Bethlehem. So when people do not take the time to consider properly, they God set it up, my opinion, Ken, God set it up so that they missed it. They miss it. And they don't really get the whole truth because they won't. They're too determined and to already preset to reject what. What God says, and so therefore. They miss it and it's all through verses and i appreciate you bringing up these examples it's all through these different verses well there, there's a lot of ways mike in which god i keep coming back to the hebrew note he says you know we must be, without faith it is impossible to please him that we, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that idea of being diligent in seeking God would uncover these things that we're talking about. Um, he's basically saying, you need to put in some effort to find me. I believe that's what he's looking for in the scripture. He's looking for you to put in some effort to find God. And some of these things will be, many of these things will be found with just a little bit of effort. They're not hard to see. You, you, you just search for them. Right. Right. They're there. Um, do you want to add anything else to this, Ken? Uh, I'll tell you what. I, I'd, I'd like to add a little bit something to your Sunday school lesson. About okay. God's Word. And it ties in on, with on sees see the need and provides. Uh, I have found that sometimes I don't have to pray. 
All I have to do is think about my need. God finds me. Have you ever had that experience? Yes, I have. Now, you know, it may be, I have some other stuff I've done on this in the past. I haven't done it recently about prayer. Um, I think that that is a form of prayer. and That's what it means, pray without ceasing. That's one of the ways that we can pray without ceasing. Is that when you are turned to God as a general way of living and thinking, and you are spend time in his word, and you begin to see the whole world through the prism of the word of God and of God himself, that your mind is constantly turned to God. And so as things happen and, and needs arise and desires arise, they are immediately taken before God in that sense, even though you're not folding your hands and, and, and saying, bowing your head and saying, dear God, so forth and so on. I think that we pray that way without ceasing. That's one of the ways we do it. That's just what I, I think that that could be right. Because prayer basically means talking to God. That's all it means. And we should talk to God all day, especially on the interstate. <laughs> Driving on US-1, I'm being facetious, but we should talk to God. I don't know. Is that what you're getting at, you think, or what? That's, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing is the word sila. Sila means think about it. So when you read something and it says sila, God wants you to think about what he's saying. When, when you read in the Psalms, it says Selah, S-E-L-A-H, right? Selah, yes, or Selah. Yeah, and it probably does mean meditate or pause. Yeah. And we're not sure if that was a musical notation or a notation of prose. If we're to not stop right there and think for a minute. You know, and that's that's really, that's what the word meditate means in a broad sense it means to stop and think about something in depth um and the old back in the agricultural times i heard my grandfather say that well the word meditate i was told he would say would means you 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 come to the end of a row and you uh, maybe read a bible verse and you plow <coughs> he's plowing with mules of course you plow the row and think about what you just read you come to the other end you read a verse and you plow the other way back and you think about that verse so this, this is meditating, and, and it probably isn't very far off the off the course of it. Well, along the lines of before you get away from that, along the lines of what we were talking about in Isaiah 65, and this is something we studied on Wednesday night. Uh, the prophet says there, in speaking in terms of this new creation that he's going to do, which I think is the church. And he says in verse 24 of Isaiah 65, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Yeah, that's right. God knows what you need. And if you're a person that's attached to him, he will. And and um, sometimes God provides for my needs before I realize. I told the story about, you know, getting, finding somebody called me up and they forgot to give me a check and they owed me $300. I didn't, I forgot completely about, I think it was 300 And And I thought when it happened, I thought, so what's going to happen now? And the next day I had to have my septic tank pumped. So there was the three hundred dollars. God, God <laughs> knew before I did, right? Um, he can see through the ground and see the see the septic tank. Is how I looked at it, in a real basic way. <laughs> but the, but that verse was was given in the context of the new creation. I, 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 that's right, and I wish I could be as close to God as I should in that 
my thoughts every day would be turned toward him and spiritual things and the words that I've read and think about. And so that my prayers just kind of arise out of my heart as I'm going along. Sometimes you might be like, now, here's a picture of Nehemiah. I think it's chapter one, Ken. Nehemiah is coming before the king, and the king notices that his countenance is not what it ought to be, what it usually is. And he he asks Nehemiah, what's wrong, essentially? And the Bible essentially says, Nehemiah, I'm going to paraphrase, froze in his tracks. And he said, I stood there, and I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I spoke. Now, I don't think he prayed very long in front when the king asked this, but here he doesn't drop to his knees and assume a posture of prayer. He's carrying the cups of the king. He he just prayed with his eyes open, standing right before the king, in a, in a silent way that 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 God knew, and the king granted his request that he can go. Be, he told him, and then words came out that said, "I want to go build the the walls of Jerusalem. My city is broken down." God said. Be on your way. I mean, the king said, be on your way. Paraphrasing again. Yeah, that is a, that's a blessing of being a Christian kid. I don't, I don't think that people outside of Christ understand it all. That's why they fret and worry all the time. But you and I know that God is going to take care of us. Going to take care of things as he even knows before we ask. And we can ask anytime, anywhere that we want to. And he will hear. So. You want to add? We're gonna to have to run here a second. What do you want to add anything to this? Okay, uh, I just want to mention that Gary mentioned a, the scripture he just mentioned. I know a song about that. It mentions those two scriptures. I have a song. That's the first verse of the song. Those two scriptures he read. What, what's that? Before they call, I will answer them. And while well, they yeah. Isaiah 60, yeah. 65, 24. There's a song about that, you say. What's that? Would you like to hear the second verse? Yeah, go ahead. I, the Lord God, will rejoice in my people. And the sound of voices weeping shall be heard no more. Yeah, those are great thoughts that, that, that most of us Christians are too busy to contemplate on. And I know the world doesn't get them or believe in them. But they're a great, they're a great uh, thoughts for us all. Well, there's an example of that in Daniel chapter nine, beginning verse twenty. If you want to read, Daniel is still speaking. Okay. Um. Anyway, we're, we're going to have to run today. I appreciate you calling, oh. Ken. I did want to say Jerry called back and asked about limbo, and we're going to have to get to that next week. What's limbo and purgatory and all that? We'll have to talk about that next week. We didn't get to that, but we want to invite you to. Uh, Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We'd like to invite you particularly to come and join us in our classes and our worship here at the building at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie, corner of California and Savona on the little behind that little shopping center on, on the west side. We meet at 10, 11, and 730 on Wednesday nights, 10, 11 today. 7.30 on Wednesday nights, and we'd love to have you come and be with us. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.